and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 8th, we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. In today's text, St. Paul gives correction and instruction concerning the celebration of the Lord's Supper in the church at Corinth. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Pastor Beck? Oh, doing doing wonderful. It's a good day. It is a good day. So we get to talk about the latter part of 1 Corinthians 11. Talk to us about this epistle and any context leading up to the text that we need to know. So as you've uh, as you very aptly uh, named this series, uh, this is all about preaching Christ and Him crucified. Uh, it's about knowing nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And the church at Corinth was, uh, they were surrounded by all sorts of, uh, of temptations for them to uh, sort of take their eyes off the ball, uh, if you uh, follow the expression. Uh, they were um, they were in a city uh, that was a big city. It was an important city. There were all kinds of things going on. There were all kinds of different temples to different gods. Uh, there was uh, this this pagan influence that was trying to creep in. Um, and there was also, uh, I mean, this is a it was a port city, so it's a lot of issues that you're going to have in terms of you know the uh, promiscuity of the day, um, sexual immorality uh, becomes a huge issue. Uh, but they have these problems on the outside, and then the letter itself is specifically written because of the problems that are on the inside. Uh, so Paul uh, wrote to address a number of issues that he had heard about from a previous letter and from, uh, I believe it's Chloe and her people who had uh, sort of come to Paul to, uh, to bring some concerns. Uh, and so as he moves through the letter, I mean, we have some huge topics that are discussed in here um, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the different kinds of things that are going on within the church that are problems. Uh, specifically, we've got the divisions. It just seems like there's, uh, this is a church that has its kind of, its little factions, its, um, its cliques, if you will. Uh, and so there are a bunch of different uh, debates, a bunch of different um, things that have—some uh, of them are theological in nature, others are very practical in nature, but they it's become theological, if that makes sense, uh, whenever uh, something goes wrong just in the way that you carry out uh, your life together as a congregation, um, and that ultimately winds up confessing poor theology. I think that's a lot of what we've got in our text today. Um, but yeah, we move from the, uh, the beginning of chapter 11. Uh, in this section here where we've talked about head coverings and we've talked about um, what it means uh, for women to uh, be in the, uh, the place of a learner in the, uh, the congregation. And now we move on to the Lord's Supper. And this is, I think this is a text that probably in most of our you know, Lutheran listening audience is very familiar with. Of course, we have a very high view of the Lord's Supper. And um, Paul has, I, I almost, I like the way that this, has, this chapter starts uh, with uh, be imitators of Christ of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything. You maintain the traditions that I delivered over to you. Um, he has a commendation for the folks at the beginning and just kind of a way of a reminder. But then once we start our text today, um, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So it's almost like 
um, I gave you the good news. Now here's the bad news. Um, things are not going well in terms of the worship life of the Corinthian church. Yeah, this is one of the key texts when it comes to the Lord's Supper, because we do get the words of institution here from our Lord Jesus. This is in the Catechism, the Holy Evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul, right? So St. Paul is one of the sources for the words of institution. It's here in this text. As you said, the previous section, Paul commended them. Here he won't commend them. Thinking back a little bit farther into chapter 10, the way that he talked about meat sacrificed to idols, particularly the matter of partaking of which table, and even talk of the cup of blessing and the bread that we eat, those things are context for this part of the letter as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you have this uh, this participation, uh, this koinonia, uh, this common union, this communion uh, in the blood of Christ. And same with the bread that we break. It's a participation. It's a common union. It's a communion uh, along with uh, and inside of the body of Christ. Um, there's one bread. Uh, we who are many are one, for we all partake of the one bread. So we're gonna we're gonna need to watch this um, in the text. We're gonna need to kind of keep our uh, our eyes on when we're talking bread and when we're talking body, when we're talking cup and when we're talking blood, um, because Paul's gonna he's gonna very kind of just very fluidly flow back and forth between them. Uh, but I think that this points to the fact that there is more going on here than just eating bread and drinking wine, um, which of course is the way that we as Lutherans confess this text to be. Uh, Absolutely. Let's take a look at this text. This is 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. It's our text for today. That's 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. Pastor Beck, we noted that in these instructions, Paul's not going to commend the Corinthians, as he did in the previous section. What's even more striking is what he says next 
He says, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. You guys are making it worse when you go to church. That's that's pretty strong language. Right, absolutely. And I, and I think that um, it is there's this almost this repetitive nature to that phrase, when you come together. Uh, we see it five different times uh, in these, uh, what, 20 verses. Uh, we see five different times, when you come together, when you come together. There is this idea um, that the church the church comes together. That's part of what it is to be the church, right? And I think it's, uh, even though it's a couple of years after the uh, the heat of the pandemic and everything like that, and I know we don't talk about that anymore, um, it's an important thing for us to remember that the church is, um, uh, in, in a way, the church is that which is, you know, the, the people of God, when they come together, we're called to stand together, to come together, to join together. Um, but yeah, how, how striking of a thing it is uh, whenever Paul writes this, that when you come together, when you worship, when you gather each Lord's Day, um, nothing good is coming of this, but instead uh, you're actually fracturing further. You're actually, uh, the divisions that he's about to say um, are in some ways necessary and, and, and okay. Um, he's saying these divisions are, um, they're becoming not helpful. They're, these divisions are actually um, splintering and fracturing the Church of Christ. Yeah, the, the repetition of when you come together, I think is helpful to point out. Because the fact that they're coming together in an unhelpful way, Paul's solution isn't for them to stop coming together. Rather, his solution right. is for them to keep coming together, but in the right way, with the, with the correct faith. And that's something that, you know, when we think about the, the things that we do as the Church, if we start doing them in the wrong way, that doesn't mean we quit doing them. Uh, when we misuse, we want to we change that to the correct use, and that's what Paul's instructions here. So keep coming together, but do it the right way. It's, I mean, it's almost a similar tack to say, like, uh, with the second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The remedy to misusing God's name is not to just, well, we're never going to use God's name whatsoever, like, the, like, I- like ancient Israel and the Jews of this day. You know, we're not going to speak God's name. No, no call upon him in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. We're actually supposed to use God's name, but use it in the proper way. So same deal here with the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and, and to the, the point then about the divisions, the, that repetition of coming together, you already see within that, that if, if we're going to be coming together, then we should not come together with divisions. That kind of defeats the whole purpose of coming together if there's these divisions. It's a, yeah, it's a counterfeit coming together. You're coming together, but you're not actually coming together. You're just gathering in the same place. Yeah. So we've we've seen divisions in this letter already, particularly in chapter one, and then the chapters that followed it. Paul addressed the matter of you know, I follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Christ. Are the similar divisions in mind here? Something different? What what's going on with the divisions here in chapter eleven? So it seems. I mean, we're as we unpack this, and we do have to kind of read between the lines a little bit to to kind of grasp what Paul's talking about. Um, but, I mean, you can divide uh, the Church of Corinth um, in a number of different ways. You know, those who um, have the strong conscience or the weak conscience uh, with the food sacrificed to idols. Um, you could talk about, yeah, those who follow this leader or that leader or who just don't want to be a part of any kind of a leader, you know. And then here, it seems as if there's sort of a rift and a division uh, between those, uh, the haves and the have-nots, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the folks that are sort of the, maybe they were on the ground floor of uh, when Paul established the church there during his second missionary journey. Maybe they've been, you know, Christians longer than any of the other folks, and they've got the newbies, the newcomers, the the guys who haven't, you know, didn't grow up in, in this church. Uh, you know, I know that the church wasn't all that old, but uh, I think we experience that sometimes in our congregations where it's like, you know, if you, uh, 
if your your uh, if your family's last name wasn't one of the ones that founded the congregation, you know, they kind of look at you with a little bit of suspect, you know. So I think that's part of the division that's going on here. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of you know the the rich and the poor, as I said, the haves and the have-nots. Um, it sounds like you know there's a, a group that is you know maybe they're showing up a little bit early and telling the other folks, oh no no, we're starting church you know late today, and you know somebody gets uh gets plenty of food. Somebody goes hungry, another one gets drunk. I mean, you wind up in this uh, this kind of a situation where uh, you have sort of just the in crowd and the out crowd, I think might be a way of putting it. Yeah, and I, I think it's helpful that you give that context, because when we think about our communion practice hmm. in our congregations, we should be thinking about those divisions that could exist or could come up within our own congregation first when we think about this text. This text will have many things to say about the practice of closed communion, sure. and it will have something to say about why those who are not of the same confession of faith should not be communing at the same altar. But that's not the only application, and not even, I don't think, the first application of this particular text. This text is speaking especially about divisions within the same congregation, and we do right. well to keep that in mind so that we don't don't keep this text at arm's length when we think about the way that it applies to us and our own communion at, at our own congregation? Um, yeah, I think that that's helpful. And and one thing that um, I, I maybe I should mention this, um, there's a, in the ESV translation, uh, which by the way, the ESV is a, is a wonderful translation, but um, in verse 20, when it says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. That can give us sort of a misleading idea. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where unless you actually sit down and you play with the Greek a little bit, you understand what's going on. I mean, uh, the Greek word, uh, the verb there, um, to eat, uh, is actually an infinitive. So it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Uh, rather, the better way we'd translate it is, uh, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Mm. So the, the issue here, and, and let, me, let me just kind of parse that out for folks. Um, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. What that makes it sound like is so that so nobody there was receiving the body and blood of Christ. It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, right? As if the Lord's Supper depends on our faith or something along those lines. That's going to completely contradict what happens later whenever we've got people getting sick and dying from it. But when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper that you gather, right? That is a little bit of a different meaning, which is to say they're getting together for. Um, you know, well, hey, it's it's the the folks that we like. It's the it's our crowd that we're getting together. Um, they're not getting together to put the big things first, to put the first things first, uh, which is the fact that we are called, we are gathered, we are we are gifted with the Lord's body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, that's that takes priority. That takes precedence over anything else in terms of the the people that we like to sit with or the people we don't like to sit with. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that's. That's a minute little detail, but I think that that really helps to inform the rest of the text uh, as it opens up in front of us. Sure, and I think it also highlights the contrast that comes in the next verse, in verse 21, where he says, in eating, each one goes ahead, not with the Lord's meal, yeah, but right. his own meal. So you're, you're, not, you're not intending to come together here for, for the Lord's purposes, you're intending to come together for your, your own purposes. But as you said, they are going to receive the body and blood of Jesus at at this meal, but yeah. not for their not for their good. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Now, before we sure. before we get too far far afield and keep going, I want to pick up what you mentioned already that when Paul talks about these divisions, he does seem to give a positive purpose that's coming about, even though the divisions are not desired. That God is is doing something good in the midst of it. With what does he say? Those who are genuine among you may be recognized. What what does he have to say there about divisions? Isn't it incredible that God can work through our brokenness and our you know, our own selfishness. God works through that to bring about his good. And so um, there are divisions within the church at Corinth because there are some who are, um, they're believing falsely. And so when there is division there, then, you know, it gives opportunity for us to correct and to rebuke. It gives opportunity for us to learn um, and to, to study the scriptures together. It gives us opportunity, uh, especially for the pastors there, uh, to take leadership uh, and to, to correct uh, and to bring people back into the fold. And I think we experience this today as well. Um, maybe, maybe sometimes we're a little bit hesitant uh, to correct people who have stepped outside of uh, God's will for their lives. But that's that's really the calling here: is to say, listen, when there are divisions, we need to stop and we need to look at the root of those divisions. We need to figure that out. We need to understand that uh, to discern that, you know, according to God's word and according to you know our, our sanctified common sense, as it were. Uh, and and come to the other side of that, so that we may be one. If there's sin, confess it, forgive it. Um, let's let's be joined together. But yeah, I, th- yeah, that, I think it's that, interesting he points that out for sure. Well, and I think that the way the way you're explaining it takes us back to the way he spoke back in chapter one, hmm. where he was dealing with the divisions with the various leaders, but he called the church to the same mind under the name of Jesus Christ, so that when we see these divisions, it becomes that opportunity to come back together where true unity is to be found, and that's only in the Lord and His teaching. Absolutely. So, Pastor Beck, as Paul continues, he begins to describe what's happening in the Corinthian congregation. This is another one of those places where it'd be nice to have like a video camera there in that (laughs) church. You could see exactly what's meant. They didn't have Facebook Uh, Live back then? They didn't have Facebook Live back then. Oh, too bad. (laughs) What's going on, as best as we can tell, in verses 21 and 22? Right. So, I mean, uh, there's some speculation here, but, uh, you know, this is this may have been a part of a larger uh, meal that is taking place, um, and not just, you know, obviously more than the, uh, the, the wafer uh, that we would use for communion, the sip of wine that we would take. Um, but it sounds like it's uh, probably associated with a larger breaking of the bread. Um, and it, it sounds here like there are the the wealthy who are getting food and drink, uh, they're having all of the wine and everything like that, uh, while those who are, maybe they don't have as good of seats. I mean, at this point, they're still meeting in, in people's homes, you know, probably large homes. Uh, but by the time the, uh, the, the back room or the, the room that, you know, by the time they usher them in to, to join together in the supper, um, yeah, there's just, sorry, we're all out of wine. We're, you know, we, we just had the last slice of bread, you know, here are the here are the crumbs that fall from the master's table kind of a deal. I mean, they just, they have this us first, and then, you know, maybe there will be enough for you, but there's not really any concern for them. Um, that's that's the impression that I kind of get from this, is that, again, there's the in crowd, and then there's the out crowd, um, and there's just no concern for the others. And it seems the the main problem that's being expressed through these outward actions is the inward thing that's happening, where he says, you're despising the Church of God and humiliating those who have nothing. This is not the way that the, the Church should behave toward each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is 
Uh, this is, and I, I love that the very next thing that he's going to do, you know, what shall I say to you in this? You know, um, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then he goes straight back to, I receive from the Lord. I mean, he's going to go back to, let me remind you again um, of the institution. Let me remind you of what the supper is all about. Um, he says, if, you know, if the purpose for which you are gathering together uh, is not to eat the Lord's supper, but you are gathering to eat and to drink unto getting drunk, um, don't you have a house to do that? Can't you, couldn't you do that at your own place? Uh, instead, you're bringing shame upon, uh, upon not only uh, these people who have nothing, but also upon the church. Um, by your actions, you are confessing um, a, a bad confession, if that makes sense. Right. You're, you're, making a, you're making a bad confession by your action, a bad confession not only for what the church is as the body of Christ, but also who Christ is and the body that he gives to you in yeah. this supper that belongs to him. And who your and brothers so he does. and sisters he takes in Christ are as well, because they're, they're yeah. the body of Christ, just like you're the body of Christ. We're all different members, etc., right? But, I mean, they're the body of Christ, and you're, you're acting as if, you know, I have no need of you. Paul talks about that elsewhere, I think. That's right. That's coming up in, in chapter 12. <laughs> the, the body of Christ that we receive with the bread in the sacrament is very much connected to this, this image that he uses when he calls the church the body of Christ. And maybe image is, is too light of a word, this reality that he yeah. uses, that the church is the body of Christ. I like that. Yeah. So so we need to keep again these these chapters they very much go together. The chapter 10 has talked about this already. Chapter 11 is is talking about it at length. Chapter 12 will come along and also talk about this reality of the body of Christ. Here especially as he takes us back to the foundation, he's going to found it on the body of Christ that is given in the sacrament there with the bread. So he in order to do that, he takes us back to the basics. This is this is what Paul does and it's a good practice for us still. When we want to consider the teaching of a particular thing within the life of the Church, it's very helpful to start by going back to the words of the Lord Jesus himself. That's what the Catechism does. does. That's what the Catechism does. It takes us back, uh, you know, which are these words, Um, you know, know, and it takes us back with baptism, it takes us back to Matthew 28, um, and then we have the words of institution here given for us uh, in the first part uh, regarding the sacrament of the altar. So that just makes perfect sense, that if you want to know what uh, what the Bible or what the Church teaches about baptism, you go straight to, um, I was going to say the horse's mouth, but we'll say the Savior's mouth, because that's, that's good. a little bit less sacrilegious. There you go. That's right. It's, more, it's a more pious way of speaking. It's good. Appreciate it. So Paul goes back to the words that he received from the Lord. Now, there's a bit of a, a wordplay here, perhaps, Pastor Beck, in the way that he writes this. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. It might be a little bit hidden in the English, but can you help us to see it? Yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. Uh, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was delivered, took bread. It's the same word there in the Greek, the, the word to be handed over, to be delivered, to be betrayed. Um, and that's, that's really maybe that stark language that Paul is using uh, sort of would shock the people a little bit. Because, I mean, yeah, I delivered over to you. I, I just I handed it on. That's, that's what that word means. But then when we talk about Jesus on the night when he was delivered, when he was handed over, and that deeper meaning that it's not just that Jesus was, you know, kind of receiving and then handing on, handing on, but the fact that he was being handed on to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world, um, that sort of, I mean, if nothing more than just that being a beautiful uh, rhetorical sort of flourish, 
that sort of that brings down uh, that brings down the the noise in the room and that kind of makes us say oh we're we're talking about you know Monday Thursday we're talking about the evening before Jesus arrest and his uh his betrayal and his you know crucifixion and everything else so that that sort of sets the tone for us very abruptly and just kind of says you know quit you know quit with your your divisions you're talking you're you're you know murmuring and all this and that and just be quiet and listen cuz we're going to let Jesus talk real quick yeah, so yeah. I, and, I like and this that. is this is the authoritative word of Jesus, as Paul says, I received from the Lord. This is not Paul making something up. Yeah. This is the word of the Lord that he's received and he is handing on. And I, I think that that's, that's a helpful thing for us to, uh, to look at as well. Um, I, I, so there are a couple of different, um, different ways that people have taken this. Um, some, uh, you know, there are several study Bibles that I've kind of looked at, and they'll, they'll take it different directions. But uh, some will say that this is just sort of, uh, he received from the Lord. Uh, it was like a delegated thing where the other apostles kind of clued Paul in or something like that. But we have a couple of times uh, in Paul's letters where he actually says, you know, direct revelation. He talks about being caught up to the third heaven, you know, and everything else. And um, I I have no reason to say that when Paul says, you know, I received from the Lord, that it's it means anything other than he received from the Lord. I I, along with, uh, you know, Martin Luther, along with Martin Chemnitz, along with uh, all, I be- virtually all the church fathers, I believe, I'm just going to say, when he says, I receive from the Lord, um, Jesus handed this over to Paul. This is, this is not something that was like, you know, Peter's over here. pretty big name dropping there. I, uh, no, I'm, I'm Along with Martin Luther and Martin Chemnitz. I, I'm just saying, I didn't— I'm I not, think you're right, though. I'm not the first one to say this, is all I'm saying. That's right. No, I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. That, that that's the the way that this that makes a lot of sense to take it this way. Even even if it's not that though, the fact that he says this is what I receive from the Lord, I think is significant because there have been moments in this epistle where he said, you know, I don't have a direct word from the Lord here, yeah. and so I'm saying this as an apostle. Here he does, and he 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 wants the Corinthians and us to hear that this comes from the authoritative word of Christ himself. And from the very night he was betrayed, and I, I do appreciate the way you, you you highlight that, because there is something about that. Look, here's your petty divisions. Let's go back to the night when Jesus was about to begin his passion for you, and let's listen to him there. There's 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 something something to that. I think so. I think yeah. so. So we'll we'll pick up those words of our Lord that Paul records for us. More on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Dustin Beck this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 8th. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we left off where Paul is about to give to the Corinthians yet again these words of institution. So it happens on the night when he was betrayed. Now, how does how does Paul record it here? What is what does he highlight within these words of institution? Well, I mean, uh, the same stuff that we highlight in, uh, in Lutheran congregations uh, each Sunday when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, the giving thanks, the breaking, the distributing, right? Uh, the words especially, this is my body, it's for you, do this in remembrance of me. Um, these are all good things. Um, in the same way also he took the cup after supper. I mean, this is, uh, I think of the, uh, of the four different accounts of the, the words of institution, this is the one that is the closest to what we use on Sunday mornings. Uh, which I find to be interesting, you know, that there's just little variations between them. You know, I will not uh, drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it in my new in my kingdom. You know, and this and that. Um, but here, I mean, he emphasizes um, this is my body. You know, this cup uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's a that's a big deal. When we're talking about a new covenant, we're contrasting that with the old covenant. And anybody that has any kind of knowledge of the Old Testament, um, which is the scriptures of the of the early church, you know, says they're they're hearing, you know, the uh, the promises fulfilled and everything else, you know, that uh, um, through uh, Jeremiah and various other prophets that uh, God will establish a new covenant with his people, one that he'll write in our hearts and everything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on with this new covenant in the blood of Jesus, uh, which everyone uh, who is, you know, hearing these words of Paul read out loud for them, they know that 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 he's about to shed that blood on the cross to take away their sins. I mean, he's the Lamb of God, okay? And so, uh, yeah, again, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So there's there's a remembrance uh, token that goes to it. Um, we should uh, we should be very careful um, not to say that the remembrance of Jesus uh, is the main thing in the sacrament, um, which some of our uh, some of our brothers brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in the the Protestant churches in the evangelical churches they'll they'll kind of go that direction and say it's all about our remembrance of Jesus um, but the emphasis is clearly put on this this is my body which is for you uh, it's 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 clearly on what Jesus is doing here that he's the one who is making the promise um, and then yeah there is there is remembrance there is Thanksgiving that goes along with it um, but you know maybe for the Corinthian congregation that's uh, rife with divisions and everything else. Uh, maybe they need to uh, emphasize a little bit more that remembrance, like, hey, think about Jesus on the night when he betrayed. How would, how would he feel about the divisions and the pettiness and all of this, uh, the sin that you're carrying up to the altar whenever you're going up to commune? Um, but then verse 26, I think verse 26 is sort of the hinge uh, for the words of institution here. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the mere act of uh, of receiving, of partaking of the Lord's Supper, is a confession. It is a proclamation. It is, uh, it is the way that with our actions, we are confessing who Jesus is for us. Um, and that's not what they were doing. 
uh, at the church in Corinth. They were confessing, um, I belong to you know, this group, I belong to that group, I belong to this leader or that leader. So that's, I, was that kind of what you were looking for when you said, what, is, what does he emphasize here? Yeah, I mean, just because the words of institution, as you pointed out, we hear them every Sunday when we receive the sacrament. And so sometimes they, they are those words that we've heard them so many times, we can follow along with the pastor by heart, that maybe we just kind of rush through them. And so just to, to slow down and see how Paul records those things, and, and what he what he emphasizes in the sense that, as, as you pointed out, this is probably the closest to what we say regularly on Sunday morning— but there is at least one part that he does leave out, which may strike us. He doesn't mention the forgiveness of sins when, yeah. when it comes to the cup. And it, it's not that he doesn't, you know, he certainly believes that this is the meal for forgiveness, no doubt. But he, it, it does seem, just looking at it, you know, you've got the, this is, so what is it? It is the body and blood of Jesus. What do you do? You, you eat it and you drink it. And then how in remembrance of Jesus. Those those three aspects just seem to be the the application, the emphasis as he records them here for the Corinthians. And then as you point out in verse 26, that's where the rubber really hits the road for them. This is a meal that's intended for you to be your confession of what the Lord has done for you all the way until he comes, but you're not doing that. Well, and just one more thing, you know, which I don't want to make too light of this. Um, this is my body, which is for you, okay? And then do yeah. this as often as you drink it. There is this understanding, this ex- uh, expectation that Christians will partake of the body of Christ. They will partake of the blood of Christ. Um, it's It reminds me of that um, uh, that hymn, What is This Bread? Remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah, is, a good one. is this for me? I am forgiven and set free. Yeah. Oh, this is this is the uh, the joy of the gospel for uh, for churches that are going through a time of division, uh, or for churches that are enduring, you know, in, enjoying a time of of, of unity. Um, this is for you. This is my body. It is for you. So there is just we can't overshadow that that this is a gift that Christ gives to you, dear listener, to you, Pastor Apple, to me, to the whole church. This is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. The, the for you, there is the gospel, that mm-hmm. this is Christ's gift to you to receive for the forgiveness of your sins. And in so doing, then you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There you have the—you you mentioned the, the title for this series, Nothing But Christ Crucified. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are proclaiming that, Christ crucified, all the way until he comes, all the way till, till the return of the Lord and the, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This is not just Paul's proclamation, as he emphasized back in chapters 1 and 2, but this is the proclamation of the entire Christian Church, that Christ has been crucified for our salvation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, Paul does have to return back to the, uh, the issues at hand. Uh, in verse right. twenty-seven, we gotta we gotta go down. You know, we've we've been up on our our mountaintop experience here, and now we've got to go greet the valley down below of the current predicament that the Corinthians are in here. So, what is the predicament? How does he address this and begin the correction and instruction? Well, he says it like this: He says, uh, "Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord." Which I, I just find this, this is what I was talking about in the introduction way back at the beginning of the show, um, is to say we need to pay attention to when Paul's talking about the bread or the cup or the body or the blood. Because right here, and back in verse 26, just one verse up, we had, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, so we're talking bread and wine, 
You're proclaiming the Lord's death. But here, if you eat the bread or drink the cup in an unworthy manner, you're not guilty concerning the bread or the cup. You're guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Right? Um, So these four things go together. The the bread and the body, the cup and the blood, these things go together uh, in the supper. And it's important for us to see that because oftentimes we, we ask these questions like, well, when is it the body of Christ? When is it the blood of Christ? And I think we're getting, we're, we're getting completely far afield whenever we ask those questions. That's not the point. Uh, and it's not the point to, you know, to bring in some sort of um, Aristotelian logic like the Roman Catholic Church does. It's certainly not the point for us to, uh, to completely deny Jesus's words, um, as many Protestant churches do, and just say, ah, well, surely he didn't mean what it sounds like he meant. Um, that doesn't sound like a thing Jesus would say, right? Um, and so when we see this in front of us, uh, we see the bread, the body, the cup, the blood um, joined together in some sort of a way, um, and then we have that those troubling words that it is possible to eat or to drink in an unworthy manner. This is one that you can actually mess up. Yeah, yeah. So to the to the point that you're making at the beginning, the connection between the bread and the body, the the cup and the blood is important when we think about what it is. And although again, we would always start with the Lord's own words where he defines what these things are for us. This is my body, this is my blood. What Paul says here is only possible if he too believes that same reality that you you're only sinning against the body and blood of the Lord if that's actually what is there in the bread and with the cup. That's the thing. And and as you said, then the application of this is, because that's the case, to partake of these things, to eat and drink in an unworthy way, is a sin against that. And it's it's striking, again, as you said, not a sin against the bread and the cup, and not even a sin against Jesus, but a sin against his body and his blood, even that specifically. Right. That's what's being sinned against. Yeah. No, so I think that that's, that's just, um, if it... If what we receive in the Lord's Supper is not the body and blood of Christ, then it is not possible to sin against the body and blood of Christ in it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, especially, I mean, when we talk about eating and drinking without discerning the body, drinks judgment on himself, um, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. If that's the stakes that we're talking about here, then it has to be something more than just like, you know, um, here, we're all going to play pretend right now. Here's a, a little wafer. You know, and uh, I want you guys to just remember me while you're eating this wafer. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be more than that. That's right. That's right. So Paul mentions this matter of receiving the bread, the cup, the body, the blood in an unworthy manner. And then it seems he goes on to define what that unworthy manner or the worthy manner on the opposite hand will look like. So, so take us into the, the next verse. Yeah, and, and he's what he's going to do in verse uh, 28 and 29 here um, is he's going to he's going to say that there is a problem with the unexamined life. Hmm. Okay, the unexamined. And I don't just mean that somebody should like do some deep introspection or something like that. But we really need to we need to understand our place in this this meal, right? Um, this is not our supper, right? Like we said before the break. Uh, we were talking about many of you are coming together for, you know, to, for his food, for his own supper, for his own meal. You know, it is, you know, it is not the Lord's Supper that you come together to celebrate. Um, yeah, if you're coming to this place so that people will look at you and think that you're so pious and such a wonderful Christian, or if you're coming to this place uh, and, you, you know, you've, you're going to tell Jesus how things are, you know, well, Jesus, you should love this person, you should not love that person, or whatever. 
you know, um, you're not examining yourself properly. You're not putting yourself in the proper position, which is to confess that Jesus is Lord and you are not. So let a person examine himself and then examining himself, uh, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I find this to be really interesting just in, in pastoral practice, because I've had people that have come up to me before, and I know you probably have as well, uh, who have said, you know, pastor, I don't know if I'm worthy to, to receive the body and blood of Christ. And I'm like, okay, well, well, tell me about that. Tell me about that. Well, I just, I, I, I really sinned really bad this week, you know, and I'm just, I'm, my faith is struggling and I'm filled with doubts and I just, I don't even know, you know, and, uh, you know, my answer is usually something along the lines of the fact that you are concerned about this, the fact that this is, you know, your conscience um, is hungering and is thirsting uh, for something that is good, because when you look at yourself in the mirror, all that you see is a wretched, poor, miserable sinner. Yeah, that tells me that you're, you're absolutely worthy. You're, this is, you are the one for whom Christ gave the supper, right? People like you. Right? When someone, uh, you know, gets bent out of shape and says, you know, well, uh, I, you know, we, we got to wait too long for communion or, or this or that because the lines are too long. Or I don't know if, if somebody's, you know, I don't know, is this, you know, maybe we're getting into sensitive subjects because we're talking about, you know, church running late. And uh, are there football teams up there where you live now? I mean, down here, there, we always are, try to get out in time for the Dallas Cowboys the games. Cowboys yeah, plays. yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, I mean, we, we have our, our concerns nowadays that we shouldn't have. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the greatest blessings I think there ever is, is when church goes long, because we got to hear more of God's word. Uh, we get to receive the body and blood of Christ. And we, we had a packed house of people who were gathered in and, you know, the room could barely hold them. What, what greater blessing is there? At least that's my perspective. I don't know if that's the way that everybody sees it, but yeah. So as, as you're talking about this examination, then part of the examination, as, as you're indicating, is the, the reality, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. If, and if that, if that confession's not there, then, then that would indicate the, the unworthy manner. So part of the, I mean, and this is just thinking about how do we examine ourselves, Pastor Beck, I think the first part is, am I a sinner? Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. What, what else is involved in examination? Yeah, so I mean... You know, Luther has uh, his uh, the little book that he's written on the you know questions, Christian questions with their answers that sort of uh, helps to uh, prepare us to receive the sacrament. And I think that's a helpful thing. It's in most of your small catechisms. Um, but I, I think a part of this is also uh, the way that we mistake this. Let me start back up. The way that we that we get this wrong is when we say let a person examine himself, and, and when we read that, we're just like, oh, so so what that means is. I get to ter- determine if I come to communion. Like, oh, okay, well, I've examined myself, so I'm good and ready. Um, examine yourself in terms of what, right? Examine yourself uh, in terms of the confession of Christ. Examine yourself in terms of uh, unconfessed sin. Examine yourself in terms of, well, what's 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen and following written about? Divisions in the church. Right. So examine yourself in terms of that. Or are you a force that is dividing the church? Or are you a force that is, you know, seeking reconciliation? Uh, and, and this is ultimately um, this is where we start to talk about church discipline and we start to talk about closed communion. We start to talk about the people who are worthy. Um, you can be uh, there should probably be a flow chart for this somewhere. I don't think they had flow charts in the first century. Uh, but, you know, someone can be a Christian you know, and absolutely a brother or sister in Christ, um, and they are not necessarily worthy to receive the Lord's Supper at this altar. And that's not something that, you know, that, that's something that we should 
we should grieve and we should pray for uh, a day when divisions cease. Uh, but if someone is not confessing that this is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ, uh, if someone doesn't believe according to the words of Jesus, w- well, then it's they have not examined themselves, right? Or if they've examined themselves, they've they should find themselves um, sort of on the outside of this uh, this this community, if that makes sense, this communion. Mm. Yeah, and to what, what you're saying about the let a person examine himself, just as, as you've indicated in some of your pastoral conversations, and the fact that Paul is writing this letter at all with these instructions indicates that there is a pastoral role in this examination. Yeah. What, what if I don't know how to examine myself? Well, that's why God's given you a pastor. At least that's one of the reasons he's given you a pastor, is to help you with that task. And that's why Paul's writing these instructions, is to help the Corinthians examine themselves, because clearly they haven't been doing it correctly so far. Right. They need to do it in faith. And so, the, I mean, yeah, just to say, oh, I'm going to examine myself, and who are you to say, pastor? Well, that's that's part of the pastoral role. It's part of the reason Paul's writing this epistle in the first place, is to provide that instruction for proper examination where it's not being done. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Yeah. So now, as you indicated already, Pastor Beck, so am I a sinner? Do, what do I believe about myself? Also, what I believe about what's in the sacrament, this matter of discerning the body, that seems to be the primary concern in verse 29. Yeah, I think so. Um, you, when you discern uh, the body, that is to say, you confess that this is the body. Um, I, I don't think there's any way of getting around that. We we can try to soften that into something else, but I just don't. I don't think that that tracks. Uh, we're, we're, we would be taking Paul out of context uh, if we said that the body there refers to something other than uh, the same bread and body that we've been talking about in this chapter. Um, if we try to take it out of context and say that this is talking about discerning, you know, the body of Christ in terms of the church or something like that, um, I don't think that's what's going on. This is talking about discerning what is actually happening in this place, um, because if you if you receive, well, you know, and I, you know this, Pastor Apple, I'm teaching, uh, teaching Old Testament at Faith High School here in Central Texas this year, and uh, one of the things that we, we uh, a month or so ago, we, we slogged through uh, Leviticus, had a lot of fun in Leviticus. I know that you guys were in Leviticus a while back uh, on Sharper Iron as well. Yeah, a lot of fun in Leviticus. When we worked our way through Leviticus, one of the things that we found out is that um, God certainly wants to be worshipped, but he wants to be worshipped on his terms. You know, you've got Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, that they offer unauthorized incense, and I don't even know what that means, but it was something they shouldn't have done. It was something that God had, had told them, this this is not how you worship me. I've given you specific rules about this. And they showed up, and they were struck dead on the spot. So when we come to something like the Lord's Supper, um, I think that there is a little bit of that fear and trembling that comes along with it, uh, especially in light of 1 Corinthians 11 that teaches us that there is judgment here if you receive the body and blood of Christ um, in an unworthy manner. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so the, and just a, a, the pastor who asks you about these things before you receive the sacrament, don't be offended at no. that. He does that for the sake of love. He, he wants you to receive the sacrament in a worthy manner so that it will be for your great benefit. And so don't don't be offended by that, but rather receive it with the intention that it is spoken, which is love, so that you would not eat and drink judgment upon yourself in verse 29. And, and Paul even indicates that among the Corinthians in verse 30, there's been some, some bigger consequences. But I, And I think that this, in an ironic twist, you know, when the visitor comes into our congregation and we, we gently try to have that conversation with them of, 
you know, um, well, where do you go to church? You know, do you have a church home? You know, and uh, and the response kind of comes back, well, you know, I, I don't really go to church, or I haven't been at church, or, you know, I go to the Baptist church, or the Methodist church, or whatever it happens to be. You know, and we try to gently bring them into that place of saying, well, you know, when we, re- we believe that when we receive the Lord's Supper, we're gathering together around a common confession, because when we eat the bread, uh, we do believe that we are proclaiming the body, you know, that we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, right? Um, and that that proclamation means that we are, you know, one in doctrine. So we'd certainly, we're glad you're here today. We'd love to, you know, to have more conversation about this, et cetera. Um, doesn't that often come across to visitors as, why are you being so divisive? Do you think that you're the only ones that are being saved? Do you, are you saying that I'm not even a Christian? And that's certainly not the, the intent. That's certainly not what we're trying to communicate or what we, what we believe. Uh, but for there to be fellowship around the altar, you know, we do want to come under the same, uh, the same teaching, the same doctrine, the same confession, uh, which is a difficult thing to achieve, but it's such a blessing when you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk, talk to us more about what Paul says in verse 30, those who yeah. many have become weak and some have died. Yeah, says. it sounds like there are actual uh, people who have, uh, who have become ill. Some have actually died from this. Um, I don't think that this is, uh, I mean, I, I don't know your, your take on this, uh, Pastor Apple, but I, I, I am concerned, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, when people receive the Lord's Supper who shouldn't receive the Supper. Um, I, maybe that, maybe I, I, maybe I should have a little bit more, um, a little bit more fear and trembling myself, but I've never, you know, um, you know, had somebody, uh, come up to the altar, you know, receive the supper and they're along with somebody. And I, you know, uh, you know, because of whatever circumstance didn't have the opportunity to talk with them before service and they put out their hand and I communed them, you know, the, uh, we have a great group of elders here that talk with folks before the service and everything, but somehow someone slipped in or something. I've never had that thought in my head of, you know, I commune someone and then shaking hands afterwards, I meet them and they're like, oh yeah, I go to the Baptist church, you know, over in the town. I've never had that fear of like, are they going to fall over and die right now? I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly how, uh, how to read this. I think that Paul attaches this, you know, he, he says this because it, it really is a thing that is happening. Um, but I just, mm, I don't know, Pastor Apple, what's your take on this verse? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have the, the apostolic authority. I don't <laughs> have the apostolic authority to, to make that declaration yeah. that, that he, he says and, and exactly what that means or how it might still be in play today. I, I have a hard time discerning. Right. I do think the the thing I, I will say though is that in the when when Lutheran service book came out and the the post communion blessing is given by the pastor, it speaks about the gifts for body and soul. Oh yeah. That the, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in body and soul, so that we would recognize that the the spiritual healing that we do receive. I mean, the Lord deals with us as as human beings, bodies and souls together, right. so that there is a a physical reality of receiving the Lord's Supper that we shouldn't take lightly. Uh, but where, where I, as a pastor, would would say that to someone, that's a probably a case for individual pastoral care. I, I and even then, I would I would have a hard time discerning that. Yeah, that's that's. But I think this overarching reality, there's a physical reality going on here too, and we shouldn't forget that. And maybe we can that, maybe we can say that on the other side of things is that like. When you're in the hospital because you're sick, call your pastor, ask him to bring you the Lord's Supper, right? Because yeah. this is nourishment for your soul and for your body. So maybe we can use this and we, we can see this text and just kind of say, 
that the opposite of this is true, which is to say when you receive it, uh, according to faith, when you receive it, discerning the body, you eat and drink blessing upon yourself. That is why you are being healed. That is why you are receiving strength. And I'm not saying that it's, you know, this is a miracle drug or something like that, uh, but this is, it is for uh, the healing of the nations. It is for your forgiveness and for your life and for your strength. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the best way to understand this and to, to, use, to actually apply it today. Now we got about three minutes. I know we're running short. <laughs> yeah. So, so we get back to this matter of judgment, which we've seen elsewhere, what, what it means to judge truly and being judged by the Lord until finally, you know, he gives very plain instructions at the end. Help us to, to wrap things up this morning. Yeah, sure. So, um, the thing that I want to point out uh, to our listeners today is that I don't know that this problem in Corinth, especially with the Lord's Supper, I don't know that at its root it started out as a theological problem. My suggestion, or my, my thought here, is that this actually started out as more of a practical issue. It started out as more of a, you know, I mean, the divisions are there. We've got the people that we like. We've got the people that we don't like. We've got the people that we sit near in church and the people that, you know, or maybe they, you know, maybe uh, you're at a church that has two different services. Anybody ever experienced that before? It's almost like having two different churches, right? Um, so you've got the in crowd and the out crowd. Um, but the problem is, is that the things that we do, uh, even just like the practical way that we do things, they have consequences. And so what the people were doing by their actions, it was actually confessing um, that, first of all, this isn't the Lord's Supper. This is my supper. This is my worship service. I get to be the one who calls the shots. I get to be the one who decides how this goes. And what they were doing was they were taking their eyes off of Christ. They were unable to confess and to proclaim Christ Jesus uh, dead and risen for sinners uh, like themselves. Uh, and so the point we need to see here is that when we receive the Lord's Supper, um, we do well to see exactly what it is. It's the body and blood of Christ given and shed for us. Um, we recognize that we don't deserve this. That's the point. But instead, it is given as a free gift to us. Um, and so I think that Paul sort of ends with this, this sort of, here's the, here's the idea. When you come together, again, when you come together, two times in the last two verses, when you come together, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, just go home and eat. But when you come together, don't come together for judgment. Instead, come together for the Lord's Supper. Come together for this good gift that God has given to us, uh, his own son, his own body and blood. And uh, then Paul leaves off and says, I'll give you more instructions when I get back to you. That's a good enough way to wrap it up, right? Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. He's been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. God's blessings, Pastor Up. What is this bread? Christ's body risen from the dead. What is this wine? The blood of Jesus shed for mine. Paul communicates those truths very clearly to the Corinthians so that they would receive the Lord's Supper in faith, not in division, but in unity together as the church there, loving each other with the same love that Christ has given them, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. God grant us that same grace to proclaim the Lord's death by our reception of the Lord's Supper today. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians 11, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.